Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As we continue our study in Corinthians, we are getting close, very, very close to the end of this letter that we call the second letter to the Corinthians. In reality, it's actually the fourth letter, but it's the second one that God has preserved through time for us to read. And I'm going to ask you to turn to him. We're also going to turn to Galatians. So if, if you're if you're a multitasker, you want to may keep your hand and finger in first or first or second Corinthians, should I say? Second Corinthians chapter twelve. I'm not sure what I said before, but second Corinthians chapter twelve. And you may also want to turn to Galatians chapter one, because uh, we'll be going there in just a moment. Remember the heart of the dispute. There's Paul here is defending himself against the rivals or his opponents there in the Corinthian church. And they're seeking to build themselves up by tearing Paul down. And we saw Paul now has turned the tables, taken the gloves off, and said, listen, I'm going to speak as a fool. I'm going to answer a fool according to his folly, and I'm going to take up the task of boasting about myself. And that's where we've been in chapter 11. And here as we finish up in chapter 12, Paul is continuing his boast. For Paul knows that he is not lesser than what he would refer to these men as super apostles. He says, indeed, I consider that I'm not the least inferior. And the reason why he takes up this task of boasting about himself, even though he admits that this has no eternal value, this is not glorifying to God, but we're going to boast as they do so that you may understand the futility of their boast. And in it, he says, I'm doing this because I need to protect the church. You need to know and judge between the two of us of which one is a more faithful minister of God. In chapter 11, for those of you who have been taking notes, just as a matter of review, we saw that Paul says, I'm greater in. And then we've been looking at all the ends. We've looked at eight of them so far. He is greater in knowledge and sacrificial love and revealing the truth. He was greater in weakness. He was greater in his heritage. He was greater in serving and greater in suffering and then greater in humility. Today, we're going to continue with Paul's defense in chapter 12 in the first 10 verses. And Father, we ask before we read this that you would just um, equip us to listen with listening ears. Let us hear your word. Lord, may your spirit do the work that is entailed in what you predetermined to do. Lord, may we yield to that spirit's work. I pray that you would diminish all distractions. Lord, keep us here. Keep us focused. And Lord, let me speak words that are edifying, that build up, and let us be able to tell the difference between your word and just man's mere opinion. And Father, that you would supply what's lacking, not only in my speaking, but also in those that hear and understand that you may be glorified. I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So in Revelation, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 1, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're coming to the ninth one. We're going to come to the last one that Paul is greater. And if you're taking notes, here it is. Number nine, Paul is greater in visions and revelation. 
Paul is greater in visions and revelation. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Paul goes, I must go on boasting. If in chapter 11 he says, if I'm not greater in all these things, let me go on to one last item, he says. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, visions we need to understand. Visions is something that's like, it's the Greek word for it means apparition. It actually means to see something. And we see in, in Scripture that Paul records at least six revelations that he had received of the Lord. In his letters, he speaks of other types of revelations. For Paul, it was a normal, well, I should maybe normal is not a, a great word for it, but it wasn't um, abnormal. It wasn't surprising to Paul that God would speak to him through revelations, through things, or excuse me, through visions, the things in which he could see or he could see something that others could not see. There's six of them recorded in Acts, as well as, the, again, in the many others that he speaks about. Revelation is another word that means disclosure, and we see that in Galatians and Ephesians, in which Paul says, I receive many visions and revelations. Now I want you to turn as I asked you Galatians chapter 1. Would you turn there real quickly? And I need to do the same. I'm not a multitasker, so I do one at a time so I know where I'm at. Galatians chapter 1. I want to give you just a brief bio of Paul. In Galatians chapter 1, let's start with verse 1. It says Paul an apostle, not a man, nor of or not 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 from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, the God, the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to all the churches of Galatia. For he goes on to say, look at verse 10. For I am now seeking, for I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. He asks as a question. Or am I trying to please man? It's a question that would say, no. If I am still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Verse 11 is where we want to get to. For he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so that it, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who, was call, and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among him, him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And we talked a little bit about that last week. He says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, the apostle Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicia, and I went still unknown in person to the church of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it was said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Going verse back then to, to verse uh, chapter 2, 
Or in verse 2, he says, I went up because of a revelation. When he's talking about going up to Barnabas, with Jude, to Jerusalem with Barnabas, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seem influential, the gospel that I was to proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Look at verse 7. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been trusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been trusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the uns- or to the circumcised worked, I'm sorry, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. I read all that to point out that Paul says, here is my heritage. Here is who I am. I was a great man in the eyes of the Jews. I was a persecutor of the church. I was zealous for God. But yet God came to me in a revelation. And many of us know that story in Acts chapter 9 where Saul was, as, as, as he was known before, was re, where Jesus revealed himself in a mighty way. And we see that one of the things, one of the revelations that he received was, you will be a missionary to me, a preacher, a teacher to the Gentiles. It was normal. Paul was, this is something that Paul uh, understood. He was a man of many visions and many revelations. Paul was a man who was called out by God for a special ministry. And he wrote to the church of Ephesus that the mystery was made known to me by the revelation. And what was that great mystery? It was the mystery of God's plan for the church. And so when we see Paul, Paul is saying, listen, these men are proclaiming to be men of visions and revelation. Here's something you need to understand. I am greater in visions and revelation." It was to me that Jesus personally came and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest me? It was me that he chose out to be, a, to be the missionary or to be the minister to the Gentiles. It was to me that he gave the great mystery of the Jews and the Gentiles coming to one. And instead of one chosen people and the Gentiles, there was going to be a new making, and that was called the church. Imagine, that must have been a great, great booster for Paul. Who else did Paul did God give those types of revelations to? And Paul says, no matter what you think, I'm greater in those visions and revelation. But I want to share with you that even though Paul here is boasting of those visions and revelations, there's two things that you and I can learn from Paul. Because these visions and revelations did not come without a cost. They cost Paul dearly for that. And that's the meat of the message Not only is Paul greater in visions and revelations, but there's two things that you and I need to learn from Paul. The first thing that we need to learn is we find in verse 2, where Paul is determined not to bring attention to himself. In spite of all these visions and all these revelations and all these ways in which he could honor himself and say, look at me, Paul was determined not to bring attention to himself. Look at verse 2. He writes to them, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God does. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. 
On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me and he hears from me. Paul here is going to give a brief and a very vague description of at least one of his visions and revelations. He references a man that was caught up to the third heaven, which he calls paradise. The word paradise is used in scripture and Greek and Rome, or Hebrew and Greek literature to mean beautiful garden. That's really what it means. Paradise means a beautiful garden. But it also can refer to being in the presence of God. Now, I think, can I do a side note if you don't mind? I think that's interesting. The fact that we were once, our parents were in a beautiful garden. And now God is restoring us to a beautiful garden. You want to know what heaven is? It's Garden of Eden. It's just Eden. It's a beautiful garden where the presence of God is. Now, most scholars believe that that man that Paul is referring to is himself. And that he writes in the third person in a way to deflect pride and honor upon himself. Paul is reluctant to speak of his visions and revelations because he doesn't want to build himself up, but he wants to build the community. And I, I know I think I'm, I'm thumping here. I apologize if that's coming across. For what Paul understands here, and he's trying to teach the Corinthians about his apostleship and these other men that are claiming to be apostles, is that a true apostle, true apostleship, is established for building up the community and not someone's resume or their personal prestige. Paul had told them before about public worship when he says, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation, whatever it may be, let it be done for building up. We saw that this morning is that worship, our public worship, is for the building up, for the unity of the body. And so everything that we do here is not to enhance ourselves, but to enhance the one who gave us the gifts and the abilities to praise him. So Paul wants to deflect any honor of himself or any honoring of himself in the visions and the revelations, for they were personal and only for Paul and not for the church. For he says, God has told me not to speak of it. So he doesn't speak of it. Kind of a little bit different than many of the books and the movies that come out, whether it's 40 minutes and 90 minutes in heaven, or the one with the little child. Heaven is for real, or I like the one who has to get his two cents in, 20 minutes in hell. I can only take 20 minutes in hell. That's all I could take. God says these things are personal for you. So what we're seeing is that though revelations and visions were meant mainly to build up, there were sometimes that God would give him something that was private and that was especially for him. This type of attitude was par for the course for Paul. He had written to them earlier stating that when I come to you, brothers, I do not come proclaim to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul's whole ministry was marked by a different tenor than those who had made their way into the Corinthian church. For them, they weren't preaching Christ, but they were preaching themselves. 
And they had lots to boast of. These must have been very talented men. But yet their very ministry and the fruits of their ministry exposed them for who they are as false prophets, men not to be in the church. Boasting puts the focus on the person rather than on God. And evidently his rivals were giving accounts of supernatural revelations and visions to boast of their own authority. But let me share with you, that happens even so today. There are many who proclaim visions and revelations. But let me tell you, visions and revelations, just as back then, does not approve apostleship, nor does it prove that they're from God. There are today many people who claim to have revelations and visions, yet they show themselves to be frauds when it doesn't come from Scripture. If I could, I'd like to take you into and just take a little break and do rabbit trails. Do you mind a rabbit trail here and there? Turn to 1 Kings if you would. I'm going to give you a rabbit, a rabbit trail, and give you into a, a first-person account of how we must be very, very careful with visions and revelations. 1 Kings, turn to the 22nd chapter. In the 22nd chapter, you'll find that the most one of the most wicked kings of Israel, Ahab, is looking to defend his kingdom, and he's brought in uh, Jehoshaphat, I believe, from Je- or, or Jehoshaphat was from uh, was Israel, excuse me. Uh, Ahab was from Judea, and as they're together, they're looking at defending themselves, and they say, "Well, let's see what the prophets have to say." And the prophets come in, and they tell them, they tell the king exactly what they want to hear. You're going to be successful. Things are going to be well. And Jehoshaphat says, well, do you not have a prophet from the Lord? You might remember that Ahab was the one with Elijah and the Baal prophets. There were many prophets of Baal, a, a, you know, a, a false deity, a false god. But he says, is there not one from the house of the Lord? So he brings in uh, what we're going to see is Micaiah. And they're going to say, we're going to ask you to prophesy and share with us what the Lord says. And in here, Ahab already knows that this man is a trouble. He says, there is a prophet. But he never speaks anything good. Isn't that like us? We always want someone to speak something good to us. We want some, the scripture even says it, that they will accumulate to themselves preachers and teachers that tickle their ears. So we're always, tell me what I always want to know. It's always interesting when you sit down with someone in counseling or you're talking, you've experienced this, and they're telling you what they're wanting, and, and all of a sudden you start to give the advice that they've asked for, and if you're not telling them what they already want to hear, what happens? Boop. Blank eyes. They're ready to go a different way. And Ahab says, this man never has anything good to, to say to me. And then they, as they go to get uh, Micaiah, they uh, come and they say, well, tell the king this. And he says, well, I'm going to tell him what God says. And then we find a story here in verse 19 of second, uh, or First Kings chapter 22. And Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven sitting beside him on his right hand and on his left. So he gives them a picture. Here, the Lord is setting up. There's people on the left. There's people on the right. We're getting a vision of what's of the heavenly throne. Verse 20, And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? 
And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. God is speaking. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all of these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. So can we experience visions and revelations that aren't truly from God? Yes. Yes, very much so. But you and I, we must be discerning of the revelations and visions of not only ourselves, but of others. As the Apostle John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. The problem here is that the Corinthians have failed in this matter. They have not discerned between the spirits of these super apostles, and they've been guilty of being seduced by these charlatans. And the same could be said for many of God's people today, and not only God's people, but the world. And so visions and revelations are something that many will have, but the Bible has called us to discern between them. But Paul says, I'm determined not to bring attention to myself. And that may be very clear how we can tell whether a revelation or vision is true. Does it boast Europe? Who does it, who does it lift up? Does it lift up Christ? Does it lift up God? Does it speak to the building of the church? Or does it build yourself up? It mustn't fail to say that Joseph Smith, his revelation and vision, built up something entirely than the throne of God. And we can go on with many others, whether it's David Koresh, Jim Jones, so on and so forth. As we must look for the things that build up. And Paul is determined not to build himself up, but to point to God. The second thing we can learn from Paul in his visions and revelations that he wants to understand is not only is he humble and he's not about to build himself at the expense of Christ, but Paul also understood the purposes of his suffering. We talked about his suffering last week. Is that even in this revelation and vision, Paul understood the purpose of his suffering was twofold. And so I'm going to give you two reasons why God had him suffer. And it comes, as we see, as a connection to the visions and revelations. His visions and revelations were connected to his sufferings, or vice versa, I should say. Let me give you the first reason. The first reason we see in verse 7, that God's method of keeping Paul humble in the midst of great revelations, in the midst of great visions, the way that God kept him humble was to give him what's called a thorn in the flesh. Look at verse 7. For Paul is the one who makes this connection, not I. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Paul recognized and says, listen, God has given me something that is just horrible. It's a thorn in the flesh. Why? So that I, to keep me humble. 
He understood his special place in God's plan. If anyone was to boast, it would be Paul. But I think you would probably not find another meeker man than Paul himself. The thorn in the flesh was an antidote to spiritual pride that many of us can struggle with if we're not careful. It was a a pop the balloon, the pride balloon thorn. Thorn simply refers to a stake or something sharp and painful. So this is something that was not just something that was discomfort, but this was something that was sharp and very painful for Paul and that he had to deal with. Now, if you were to read scholars and try to find out what that thorn in the flesh is, Paul doesn't tell us what it is. For some reason, God left that out. But there's no end to speculation about what that thorn might be. And you might have one that I may not have thought of. There are some that believed his thorn in the flesh was some type of physical ailment, physical problem. Many times he'd talk about his eyesight. Many times he'd have to have his letters um, dictated, and then he would write his name very large at the end. He probably had poor eyesight. Many believe it was poor speech, for as Paul himself, who said, I'm not skilled in speaking. And that was one of the things the Corinthians prized very much, and this is one of the things that they were using against him. Listen, he can't be from God. He doesn't even speak well. It could have been his hearing, and not to speak his broken body that must have betrayed him many times with all the beatings and the sufferings he had. And we saw that last week, chapter 11. If you weren't here last week, Read the last part of 2 Corinthians 11 and see what he had to suffer through. Many believe it was a psychological problem. Stress, anxiety, depression that normally would come with much travel, much hardship, much suffering. Many of the things that he deal with. He said last week, the great concern that I have for all the churches. Many people believe, and this is probably the one that's probably a little bit more prevalent today, is that he had some type of people problem adversaries, critics, persecutors. Paul lists a couple of them. One who caused us great damage, the silversmith. There were people everywhere he went. And not only was it from Gentiles and from Romans, but it was even from his Jewish brothers and sisters who hated him and many times were the ones that were creating all these problems. This thorn, whatever it is, and I believe God kept it silent, Maybe so that you and I could identify with whatever that thorn in the flesh you may have. The thorn caused him considerable annoyance, yet it never sidelined him. And I think this marks Paul as an apostle more than anything else. What's that old phrase? Someone help me out. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, that's not always the case in the Christian world, is it? We get going until all of a sudden it gets too difficult, and then we retract. We've done that in a culture war, so to speak. Oh, wait a second. You, you mean if I, if I share Christ, this can cost me something? Well, I don't want anything to do with that. Or we can only take so much. But Paul was no stranger to hard work, to harsh environments, to hateful opposition, and to hurtful physical ailments. That was Paul's life, but yet it did not stop him from focusing on the calling that God had given him. There are other heroes of faith that lived up to this. Many of you might have heard of John Calvin. Many of of you have heard his name, his uh, French uh, uh, religious teacher and pastor. He experienced painful stomach cramps, influenza, 
uh, reoccurring migraine headaches, severe arthritis, and acute pain in his knees and his calves, his feet. He experienced kidney pain. Martin Luther, a little bit more famous, had vertigo, fainting, cataracts, kidney and bladder stones, arthritis, and problems with his heart. We can go on to a little bit closer Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of Preachers. Many consider the greatest preacher of all time, preached there in England in the 1800s. He suffered from rheumatism and gout and kidney disease. And it goes on and on. You find many of these great men usually have some type of thing that seems to bring them down and many times shortened their ministry. Uh, I can't remember uh, Charles Spurgeon ministry. I don't think he ministered much out of his 50s if he even got past uh, that age. But we must also not forget all the oppositions to their ministries, especially Calvin and Luther who suffered under the uh, persecution and the conflict of the Catholic Church. And they were forced to relocate many times due to the persecution. But what we see is God has called Paul to a greater thing. Yet he continued. He said, this thorn in the flesh will not sideline me. David Garland writes that a proud and arrogant Paul would have only hindered the gospel advance. And I believe that's true. But Paul recognizes that his suffering is something that God brings to him. David Garland went on to say, A humiliated and frail Paul leads as a captive in God's triumph. And it's accelerated the gospel progress so that the fragrance of knowing God spreads everywhere. Paul was not someone that you and I would say, boy, I want to follow that man. I want to, I want to, I want to hear him preach, or I want to be his, his uh, assistant. If anything, he would have repelled most of us, especially us in the modern world. But Paul says that this suffering has a purpose, to keep me down to earth and to humble. I think it's also important to notice that this thorn in the flesh was given by whom? God. The thorn in the flesh was given by God, yet administered by Satan. This is similar to Job's situation, as we see again another picture in heaven. And God saying, talking to Satan in that great debate, and God says, make it so. And Satan becomes that administrator. It's not only, it's also similar to the scenario that we just read in 1 Kings. Again, another vision of a heavenly throne. And God says, make it so. And he sends a lying spirit to do so. So the first reason is that the suffering, the rest suffering was to keep him humble in the midst of great revelations and visions. The second reason, number two, is that God is glorified as Paul's suffering led him to rely on Christ for strength. The second reason that he suffered is God is glorified as Paul is suffering, led him to rely on Christ's strength. Look at verse 8. Paul goes on. And this is really a, a very um, expressive and personal passage as we get to see Paul's heart and Paul's mind here. It's pretty powerful. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. Have you ever had those times? That you pled with the Lord, take this from me, take this from me. Three times, he says, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Paul is no superhuman. He's, he's human. He's like you and I. 
He says, take this away. This is too much for me. But, verse 9, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of God may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What a great theological statement. Very powerful. Probably not what you and I would say, but for Paul, God says your visions your revelations, all the things that make who you who you are is going to cost you. Paul prays three times for God to take away. Lord, take this away. Lord, take this away. Lord, take this away. However, God answers, request denied. Request denied. Denied. It's not the expected response, especially for one of the heroes of faith, especially for one that sacrificed all to God. But God says, No, I will not do it. Yet God does not leave him to suffer alone. If you haven't been paying attention, listen now. God did not leave him alone to suffer. God answers, I will give you strength to live with this suffering. In other words, God says, Paul, you must rely on me each and every day for each step, for each strength, for everything that you do. You need to rely on me. In Matthew 6.34, Jesus taught this. He says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Paul, don't worry about tomorrow. Rob, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. See, God didn't say, Paul, I'm going to give you enough strength to last another 30 years, 20 years, 15 days, 10 days, 7 seven, uh, weeks. So, no, Paul, I'm going to give you enough strength to make it through this next moment. And to this next moment. He's like a baby bird waiting for the mama bird to come and just give him just enough for that meal. There's no storage. There's no fridge. You and I have a hard time understanding this concept, do we not? You and I usually know where our next meal is. We don't understand many times and can can understand what it means not to know what you'll eat next. We have a refrigerator full, right? We have a freezer full. We can defrost something. If not, we can just go to the store and get something to go or drop by. But many of you do know it when it comes to suffering. For many of you have suffered in a great and painful way. You may be doing so today. God says, I may not make everything right. And that's the problem. You've heard me say this, is we look for Jesus as just another problem solver, a solution to our problem. But sometimes God says, request denied. I will not take that away. 
I'm just going to give you enough strength to make it through each and every time. Paul understood this. It was the cost of doing business. Through his weakness, God's grace and Christ's power is made known. Paul was destined to suffer as Christ did. Let me remind you that Jesus also prayed to the Father three times, Take this cup away. Take this cup away. Do not let me die. Must I do this? And like Paul, God the Father said, request denied. Luke describes Jesus' prayer as one that was in anguish. His sweat were like drops of blood. And even though we see the answer was no, we see that God did not leave Jesus alone in that garden. For Luke record, records that even in rejecting the prayer request of his only son, that God the Father sent, and it says there appeared to Jesus an angel from heaven, strengthened him for what he was about to face. And let me share with you, that must be your prayer. I think you should pray, Lord, take this away. But your prayer also say, but Lord, if you're going to, this is my lot for life. Give me the strength to get through it. John Calvin, writing on this issue here, writes that it could be that the vision that Paul is writing about, the one that he could not talk about, he says it very could have been the one, a vision to strengthen him for the ministry and the constant suffering that he was about to endure. Calvin might have thought of Luke's recorded history in Acts chapter 9 of Paul's conversion, where he says, now there was a disciple at Damascus, and this is after uh, Jesus had approached Saul, and said, why are you fighting against me? We see this in the rest of that in Acts chapter 9, verse 10, if you want to turn there very quickly. That'll give me a second to reset up here. I'm moving my platform. In Acts chapter 9, verse 10, it says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to a street called Straight. What a, what a great word for a, for a road. And at the house of Judah, look, or Judas, excuse me, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. So Paul has another vision. There's a man named Ananias. He's going to come to you. Come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. You might recall that when Paul or Saul saw the light, he was blinded. Verse 13. But Ananias answered and said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Now this is Ananias' story. Earlier when I read Galatians, we saw Paul's side of this very story. Look at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Look at verse 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. 
in some way, through visions and revelations, God had set Paul down and said, I have a new job for you, but it's going to cost. You're going to suffer. And your suffering is not just going to be ridicule. Your suffering is going to cause you much, much pain. But I've called you and this is your job. And this very well could have been the vision that Paul is speaking of here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I could imagine Paul, when he hears this, is probably saying, wait a second, I'm the one who causes the suffering. You, you know, you're telling me I have to suffer? Let me ask, how many of you would follow Jesus with that? Are you ready to follow Jesus? That's not the popular way that we sell Jesus today, is it? No. Hey, Jesus can make your family better. He can solve your problems at work. Hey, you want to get to heaven, right? Never ask, do you, want, you don't want to go to hell. I just watched this week uh, uh, one of the men that people call the greatest uh, soul winners in the world. <laughs> and he's one of those southern guys. And he goes through this thing, and he tells how you make soul converge, how you win souls. It has nothing to do, it's nothing gospel about it. All it is is a sales pitch. And it was just, it was sad, though humorous, but sad to watch how all he was doing was selling Jesus as the dreams that you want. Jesus is that ship that you're looking for. That's how we sell Jesus today. Hey, God called you, and everything's going to be nice. You're going to have all the things that you want. Hey, sign me up. I'm ready to follow God. But is that the call of Jesus today? The call of Jesus is the same, the call that he gave to the rich young man. Sell all that you have and come and follow me. We spoke about this last year. We talked about radical. And Paul is saying, okay, I'll follow you. And then God tells him, this is what you're going to suffer. And Paul says, sign me up. Yet it didn't stop him from saying, Lord, this is too much. Could you just take this one away from me? Whatever it is, maybe you're here today, and you say, I'm counting the cost. I'm ready to follow Christ, no matter. But yet I still need some relief. This cross is too hard and too heavy for me to bear. I hear you. I struggle with them very much the same things. But yet we continually hear, request denied, request denied. God says, you may not take that away, but I'm going to give you the strength to endure it. And as you endure it, others will see me. Finally, in this passage, both Satan and God's power is shown. Messenger of Satan, he's able to inflict God's people, but yet we see God, the power of God, is the one who brings suffering. And this is very important. You've heard me say this many, many times. Satan's design in this thorn of flesh was to draw Paul away from God and to destroy his character. And this very event that's going on at the church of Corinth was probably designed by Satan to destroy his spirit and to keep him away from God's people. But the very same event that Satan tries to use for his power, 
we see that God's design in that event is to draw us closer to God and to strengthen our character. So whatever you may be going through, even if it may be like Paul's, you have two competing powers at work. But let me give you a promise. This you can take away. This is one that you'll be able to bank. God thwarts Satan's purpose every time. Okay, thank you. Even Satan, I'm almost done here. Hold with me. Satan, even in his most evil designs, serves the higher purposes of an almighty God. Now, let me do it again. Okay, ready? Even Satan, in his most evil designs, serves the higher purpose of an almighty God. Want more? Get that in the tape. Whatever you're going through in your life, that's God's purpose for your life. It's God-given. Paul actually says it was a gift of God. Have you ever seen that as a gift? It says it may be a gift. It is a gift of God. It may be administered by Satan. But let me tell you, it serves the purposes of a holy God. God does not want us to rely on our own strength, but his. Paul learned this the most difficult way possible. And he's telling his children in Christ, understand this. Know this. These problems, these difficulties, these hardships, and these sufferings only serve to put Paul's reliance on Christ more. Not less, but more. Paul finds not only comfort in, or excuse me, Paul finds uh, not only comfort, but he also finds it in the words of Christ. When Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. May we too trust in the words of Christ. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.